Hello, Internet. My name is Brett. I'm the lead pastor here at Engage Church, and I'm so honored that you've taken a few minutes here to listen to this message. This is a message called Unshakable, and I believe it could change your life when we follow Jesus one step at a time. Here we go. Unshakable. Hey, let's read the Bible. James chapter 1, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I think this verse was handpicked for the snow. Am I right? Troubles, no joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. Now, what you can infer from this is that we are far from perfect, we are not complete, and we are lacking something. But Jesus wants to help us discover those things so that we can be perfect, complete, needing nothing. And the only way that we get to become perfect and complete, needing nothing, is when we put all of our hope, faith, and trust firmly and solely in Jesus Christ. We've been talking around the last couple weeks around a simple idea. Have you ever heard the phrase, like, trust the process? You ever heard that? Like, trust the process is maybe, like, a good way to, like, build Ikea furniture, uh, but probably not. Maybe it's, like, a good way to, like, do the training at your job. <laughs> it might be a good way to learn a new skill, but can I just submit to you today that trusting the process is actually a terrible way to live your life? It's, it's, it's maybe one of the worst possible ways you could live your life. Oh, I'm just going to trust the process because that literally means you're just letting whatever happens, happens. Whatever is happening is going to happen, and you've got no plan other than just the process. See, we don't trust the process. We don't trust the promise. We don't trust the plan. We don't trust the policy. What we trust, we trust the person, and that person, his name is Jesus Christ. We don't trust the process. We trust the person, and what we've discovered is that if we can trust the person, that Jesus' plan and purpose for us, his will for us, is to live and to have a life that is unshakable, a life that is unshakable by anything that may come our way that we are, are are not getting nervous we're not getting overwhelmed in fact our capacity continues to grow and our endurance continues to grow so that when we're in the midst of it we're like listen we're like we're good we don't need anything because we've got Jesus when we put our hope our faith our trust in Jesus he gives us the ability to stare down and face down anything that might come our way and not be shaken by that thing Isaiah 28, 16 says this. Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and the one who believes in him will be unshakable. That is what I'm talking about. That is what I'm interested in. Living a life that is unshakable. How do I live an unshakable life? I do it by trusting and building my life on the firm foundation, on that precious tested cornerstone. Now, uh, does anyone know what a cornerstone does? No, you do what I did and you go to Wikipedia or Google. Yeah, some people know. But at this time in masonry, what they would do is they would take that cornerstone. If they were building a building, that would be the first stone that was laid. And it would actually set the square in the direction for the entire building. Everything would, would, would hinge basically on this one building. Oftentimes it was very ornate and, and, and designed and, and beautiful. So they would be like an inscription or something on it. So that you all knew that it was the cornerstone. But it would determine the strength of the building. It would determine the square and the trajectory of the build. So 
what the Bible tells us is that we can live an unshakable life if we build on the sure foundation. The sure foundation is Jesus. It's talking about Jesus here. Not only is he the precious cornerstone because he gave his life for us, but I don't know if you notice this, but it says it's a tested stone. It's a tested stone. It's a pressure-tested stone. They know it's not going to crack under the pressure. They know that it can carry the weight. It can carry the load. In fact, a big part of our problem is that we are trying to carry things that we were never intended to carry. Jesus says, I'm the tested stone. I'm the precious cornerstone. Build on me, and I can help carry that weight. The reason we get so bogged down, we get hurt, we get distracted, we get wounded, we get going off in all kinds of crazy directions is because we insist on trying to make it happen on our own. We're like, we're just going to trust the process. And he says, how about you just... Trust me, and if you would trust me, together we can build an unshakable life. Anyone go to junior high here, or did you all drop out? I went to junior high. I went to junior high. I went to Killarney Junior High in the ghetto of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, any other alumni here? Killarney, we had four alumni uh, going, dating back to like the 70s in the 10 o'clock service, so no alumni here. Go Kodiaks. I was not sure of the team name uh, earlier, so I said, go team. And then someone yelled Kodiaks. I'm like, there we go. Green and yellow, green and yellow. Uh, that's the colors, and that means nothing to you, but Kodiaks, let's, let's do it. And uh, so I went, to, I went to junior high there, and I had a couple great friends. One was Auntie, one was Brendan. Auntie is uh, he's, he's an amazing guy, and we're, we continue to be friends through high school. He moved down. He's a lawyer in, New Le- in Louisiana, in New Orleans, and I'm here uh, with this snow, so that's a thing. Uh, but we had these guys when, uh, I think we were in grade seven or eight, uh, we had these guys that kept coming around to talk to the girls in our class. And these guys were from high school. And we were in grade seven and eight. And so I really had, I mean, as you can tell, I had no problem just like saying things. So I let those guys know that their behavior was creepy and predatory. And that if you're really trying to pick up junior high girls while you're in high school, that you're a special person, and uh, you should go back to where you came from. And there was two of them and one of me, and they, you know, they didn't really like that so much because I thought they were losers, and they were. And so that was only a problem with me until they realized that I had a couple friends named Auntie and Brendan. Now, Auntie was 14 years old and six foot four. Brendan was six foot two, two thirty, straight jacked up uh, at 14. And then we had no more problems. Because I learned a concept, and that's that my mouth gets a lot bigger when my friends are a lot bigger. <laughs> like, if my friends are tall, I got no problems whatsoever. I just, you know, I just, just say things, and it's amazing. Nobody hurts me because they will get hurt. I, one of my good friends, Dean, the first worship leader of our church, he was a, he's a worship pastor in another church now. He's six foot nine with a pit bull and sleeves on both arms. We are neighbors, and we go for a walk in the neighborhood, and it's amazing. Like, the, the sidewalks would part. See, like... There was a whole new level of respect because we were rolling in the neighborhood. Now, they clearly didn't respect me. They were just fearful of the giant man with the pit bull. But it's, it's amazing how our courage is directly proportionate to the size of our friends. Isn't it? But you know what's even more interesting is that our faith is often, we live our lives in a way that's directly proportionate to the size of our storm situation or circumstance. If it's really big and there's something that's coming and we're really scared of it, then all of a sudden our faith just seems to shrink back because we're like, that thing is really big. See, we, we generally live our life, if there's something that's overwhelming, if there's a large pain, if there's a large wound, that thing actually begins to define our life, not our faith in anything else. 
We put more energy, effort, and time, thought, thinking capacity, everything. We, we, we let it just, we let these things consume us. But I'm here to tell you today that, that is not the way that Jesus intended it to be. I mean, that's a thing called situational awareness. I'll drop a definition on you. Situational awareness is a perception of environmental elements and events with respect to time or space, the comprehension of their meaning, and the projection of their future status. All that means is we become so obsessed with what could happen to us if this bad thing ever happens. And we begin to plot and plan the trajectory of our life based on the bad things instead of putting our hope, faith, and trust in the good things. Addressing this very drift, the writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Now listen, I mean, just by way of context. So he was writing to the same group of people that were being written to in James 1, which we read to start the message. These were the first early Christians, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, right after uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And what happened was historically, you might have heard of um, Nero. Anyways, they turned against all the, especially the Jewish believers and Christians, and then neighbors would start turning on neighbors, and Jews who were not following Jesus started turning on neighbors and handing them into the authorities and getting them arrested. So that's who he's writing to. He says, think about uh, those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Remember what it means to have such an overwhelming encounter of faith in Jesus that no matter what came your way that you just still stayed the course. It says sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You can see the connection when it says, consider it great joy when your faith is tested. You suffered all those things and accepted it with joy. You knew there was a better thing waiting for you that will last forever. He's writing to these group of believers. Now, if we're being honest, most of the problems that any of us encounter pale in comparison to what we're talking about here. Like, I don't know if you know anyone who had their house repossessed, land seized, assets frozen, counts frozen, cars repossessed because they believed in Jesus. Like, maybe because they didn't pay something, but definitely not because... They believe in Jesus and that they did it with joy because they knew that the life that they now had found, the hope that they had now found in Jesus in this life and then in the next was so much better than any of the things happening in their life. But something happened to these people because the next line in verse 35 reads like this. Do not, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. 10 verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. See, these guys had lived an incredible life. They had been through all kinds of things, but they had just got stuck now, decades removed from that original pain, from the original chaos. They were, they were okay. And there's no greater enemy of greatness than just being okay. There is nothing that causes your faith 
to slip away faster than just being okay with being okay. See, when we're okay, we're not really moving forward, but we're not really moving backwards. Things are good. Things are steady. Things are fine. Let's not upset the apple cart. Everything's all right. We're good. We're just good being good. And the longer that we stay good and okay and all right, what begins to happen is that we begin to, without even realizing it, throw away this confident trust that we have in the Lord. Because this phraseology in the Greek, the passive definition, is that when you throw away this confident trust, it's like a tree losing its leaves. One leaf at a time. So when we're okay with being okay, it's not that we even realize what's happening. All we are doing is we're, we're, we're actually redistrib- redistributing our leaves. See, if, if every leaf in our life on a tree represented our faith in the Lord, we're just okay. So the longer we're okay, the more that we're confident in our own ability to keep things okay. So we just take a a leaf off the tree and we put it in this pile over here and then we just take a leaf off the tree and maybe we don't even realize that it's happening. Just our own confidence shifts from anything having to happen to just our ability to just keep things going day after day, just the churn. Day after day after day, it begins to grind us down until eventually the pile over here is so large and we realize that we're standing over here like a butt naked tree in the middle of winter. Exposed. And that's totally fine until the wind picks up and the storm comes and that pile of leaves gets blown across your proverbial yard. And now you're left going, where's all my, where's all my confident trust? Where's my God confidence? Where's my faith? Oh, I put my faith in being okay and I put all the okay over here and now here I am, I am exposed and I'm, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here and I'm I'm exposed. See, that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not like most of it. I'm like 75% of the way. No, no. All of it. And then this this is the money right here. Do not depend on your own understanding. Most of us get in trouble at the second line. Do not depend on your own understanding. Oh, well, I get it. I understand the situation. I'm not going, I know what's going on. I get it. Maybe you think that you're really good at reading people. And you're like, no, no, I'm fine. Like, I can, I can handle any situation or circumstance because I totally get people and, I, and I'm very insightful and, and I can just read them really well. Well, at a best case scenario, the Bible tells us that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks on the inside. He sees things in an entirely different way than you and I process them. So at best, you and I, if you're really good at people, are really good at looking at, analyzing, or, 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 or understanding somebody's best facade that they have presented to you. The best thing that you can do at very best if you're really good at it is look at their outward appearance. But what you cannot judge is the heart that is happening, what's going on on the inside. What you cannot understand is the full backstory and what led them to this moment, what led them to this time. What you do not know is the battle that they are fighting on the other side of the fence. What you do not know, at best, what you could understand is what they're willing to show you. 
So we look at every situation we're like, no, no, I totally understand what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm making good decisions here. I'm making informed decisions. I know exactly what's happening. And I, if, if you feel that way about your life, then I said, well, when's the last time you've been surprised? Have you ever been surprised about something in your life? Did anything like not happen the way that you thought? Because if something has surprised you, then you have just exposed the actual amount of your world that you understand. If something surprises you and catches you off guard, then maybe you didn't understand exactly what was going on. So what the implication is, is he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your understanding at all. We don't have to trust our read of the room. We don't have to trust our understanding of the situation. We don't have to trust our strategic thinking. All we have to do is trust in the person of Jesus because we don't trust the process. We don't trust the plan. We don't trust the policy. We trust the person of Jesus. And we do that because he's got more information than I could ever ask, hope, or imagine, or dream. He has a different read because he understands what's happening in people's hearts. He understands what's happening in people's lives. He understands what's happening on the other side, behind the veil, what's going on way down deep in here, things that you have no business knowing. So if we insist on making every single life decision solely based upon the information that we can process, we are at best making a decision based on at best, 50% of the situation. Or we could trust Jesus, not worry about the numbers, and understand that he knows so much more that I could ever wrap my mind around, that all I have to do is put my trust in him and follow him one step at a time. It's like as if you know that part. Check this out, Psalm chapter 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, which means uprightness, justice, and right standing with you. You have freed me when I was hemmed in and enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Now this psalm, Psalm 3, uh, is a part of a collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Trust. These happen all across the book of Psalms. Psalm 3 is the Psalm of Trust. Psalm 4 is the Psalm of Trust. And there are six other Psalms of Trust interspersed all throughout uh, the book of Psalms. These Psalms are almost like exclusive songs where the writer is talking about direct situations in their life where all he did was actually trust in God. And they're little songs and they happen all throughout. He even has instructions on how you should sing them at the top, top of the song. But he says these things, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have freed me when I was hemmed in, but you notice this part, he says, enlarge me when I was in distress. Now, generally, we don't like the idea of being enlarged. I mean, I feel like I've already got that under control. I'm working to go the other way. But he says, listen, I want, don't just get me out of it, but enlarge me in my distress. The, uh, the first part is good news. He says, you freed me when I was hemmed in. Does anyone feel trapped? Does anyone feel backed into a corner? Has anyone felt that way before? God, hey, God wants to help you get out of that. No, no, no worries about that. He does. He, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's moving you in a new direction. He wants to get you out, but he doesn't only want to get you out. He wants to enlarge you. He wants to enlarge you in the midst of your distress. You're like, I don't, I don't even know that I know what that means. Well, that's why we're talking about it here. See, to be enlarged just means to grow wide, to grow large, to be widened, and to be enlarged. Imagine that. The definition of enlar being enlarged is to be enlarged. Like, that's actually from the Internet. And uh, 
That's why you use books. That was a joke, but it's fine. Don't laugh. It's cool. <clears throat> when we think about the first verse that we read, James chapter 1, he says, uh, James chapter 1, verse 3, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He talks about increasing capacity. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What God is talking about, and the writer of Psalms is talking about in Psalm verse 4, when he says, in my distress you enlarge me, is that God actually wants to increase your capacity to handle your situation and your circumstance. He wants to give you a greater capacity, a greater endurance, a greater ability to handle whatever comes your way. And he does this, I know this is a big shock to you, he does this one step at a time. The Bible says uh, that he, he's always faithful to bring, uh, with small things. He brings those things into fullness and into completion. But he starts with small things, one step at a time. So this is all that I mean by all that I'm trying to say right here when he wants to enlarge you. Is that if you trust Jesus with the small things, with the small decisions, that every single time you trust him and he comes through, it increases your capacity. Because you trust a little bit more. Oh, he handled that. He handled that. And then the next thing comes, and you go, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna trust Jesus with all of it. I'm not gonna depend on my own understanding, my own read, my own outcome. I'm gonna extract my faith out of fear, and I'm gonna put it into Jesus. And then he comes through on that thing, and guess what? Your capacity has been enlarged. Then the next bigger thing comes. And it's stretching, and it's like, whoa, I don't know if I can do it. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm, not, I'm just going to trust you one step at a time. And it's like, whew. He did it. Well, yeah, he did it, because he said you could trust him, and he's faithful. But guess what? Everything you encountered up to this point, when your capacity is enlarged, the next time it comes, doesn't feel like a thing. Because been there, done that. If he did it once, he can do it again. I can, man, I can handle that because I know that I'm not handling it. I'm with Jesus because my faith is in direct proportion to the size of my friend. And my friend's name is Jesus Christ, who's the creator of the universe. And he's real big and he ain't six foot four. He ain't six foot nine. He's made everything. And if you were six foot nine and you're in his way, he'll make you three feet. My faith is directly proportionate to the size of my friend and my name. My friend's name is Jesus, and he speaks the world into existence with a whisper. So I know that when I trust him, and when I'm trying to freak out, and I'm trying not to like do things, I know if I just trust him, he will lead me in a process that will increase my capacity so all the other struggles and troubles and trials and tribulations when I move forward will no longer be any kind of big deal because I know that my faith is in Jesus and my friend, not in the situation, or the storm, or the circumstance. Check this out, Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait for him to act. It's a terrible Bible verse. I don't want to wait for him to act. I want him to act now. I want lightning bolts and fire and Old Testament stuff. No, be still in the presence of, Lord, of the Lord and wait for, patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. In other words, don't obsess over those people that it seems like they're uh, getting in, taking advantage of you or your friends or somebody else and you're, you're just so distressed about the injustice of the situation. How about you trust Jesus to handle the injustice and you just hold on to hope? 
says this. Now, this is going to be hard. This is a hard one. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Verse 8, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not, lead, do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Oh, what? Here's what the Bible is saying right here in Psalm 37. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't obsess over things you can't control. And don't get angry and act out of your wickedness because if you do that and you act out of your anger and you act out of your pain and you act out of your rage, it's only going to cause you harm. Now here's the ironic part about this is every time we do this, every time we act this way, act out of our anger and it causes us harm, our human propensity is to turn around and go, hey God, look what you did to me, right? We blame him. We're like, you did this. You let this happen. He goes, no, no. I told you to wait. Let me take care of it. But here's what I love about this. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to ask. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord, which means in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my circumstance, in the midst of my storm, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my trial, and in the midst of my tribulation. It means I'm not alone, that he's never left me alone, that I've never been abandoned, I've never been forgotten. I've never been alone. He's been with me there the entire time. The reason I can trust him is because he's been there every moment. I might have not acknowledged that he's been there, but he's been there. He says, just hold on, relax, understand that I'm here and I'm with you. Like Psalm 23 says, with my rod and my staff to comfort, to guide you and to protect you. Just hold on, relax, trust me and let me take care of the situation because I'm here the entire time. I've been here. You've never been alone. He's been with you. He's been chasing you down all the days of your life and you're not alone. Don't act out of your anger. Act out of a trust and a faith in Jesus by acknowledging that he's been here, that he's with you, that he's walking with you, and he wants to handle your business. When we talk about the idea of that sure foundation, that tested stone, that stone is tested and rated to carry weight. If I build my life on Jesus, I know that he's tried, tested, and true, and he's proven to be able to carry weight. The thing that holds me back, the thing that breaks me down, the thing that wears me down, and the thing that causes me to slip, fall, and stumble is when I insist on carrying my own baggage, a weight that I'm not rated to carry. Which is why Jesus says, come to me all who are you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me all who are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. It is possible for you to live a life that is unshakable in the midst of a storm because you don't trust the per- the process. You trust the person and the person that you trust is there to carry your weight and walk with you and do this together and to handle your business and to fight your battles if you would just trust him because my faith is directly proportionate to the size of my friend and my friend is really, really big. His name is Jesus and my God is not subject to my situation, but my situation is subject to my God. This is really quiet for a 12 o'clock service. Here's what we're going to, we need to stand to our feet right now. Stand on up to your feet. God wants to enlarge your capacity to handle the storms of life because those things aren't meant to take you out 
In fact, some of you might be wrestling with the thought, are, are those things sent by God? Is that why he can stop them? No, he can stop them because time after time in scripture, he showed us that he's the God of the storm and he knows how to silence the storm. So we trust him with the things that we do not understand because he knows how to take care of business of the things that we can't think or understand. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of my pain, you need to understand that you're not alone. He's with you and he wants to walk with you. If you would just let go of the keys and let him drive the car. Have you ever seen that license plate? Jesus is my co-pilot. That is the worst license plate of all time. We should just burn it and lightning bolt it and light it up and have a fire with them all. But don't ingest the fumes. Because Jesus isn't your co-pilot. Jesus is the pilot. Jesus is the plane and he's the air and he's the aerodynamics and he's the clouds. <laughs> he's not your co-pilot. At best, you're a passenger isn't in his plane. And he's coming around with a light snack so that you can enjoy the ride. I want to show you what's possible when we put our hope, faith, and trust in Jesus. This is the end of that psalm of trust, Psalm 4. Psalm 4, verse 8. It says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. That's the last line of that psalm of trust. If you've ever had that moment where you put your head to the pillow and you can't go to sleep because you're overwhelmed by all the things, all the stuff, all the struggles, all the burdens of the day and all the worst case scenarios that your little mind can concoct. It is possible that if we put our trust in Jesus, that when you hit the pillow, you can live a life filled with peace where you can lie down and sleep because we understand that you, O Lord, Jesus Christ himself wants to keep you safe and bring you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes all across this place. Here's what we're going to do, something a little different. What we're going to do today is we're going to handle our own business. Because a lot of us, and by a lot, I mean all of us, need to take a moment to apologize to Jesus in religious language is called repent. Because for a long time, we've been trying to make things happen on our own. And we've been putting more trust in our problems and more trust in our fears than we've ever put in Jesus himself. For a long time, we've been allowing those worst case scenarios to drive our decision making process instead of trusting the creator of the universe. So today, all across this room in whatever way works for you, I just want you to take a moment to first apologize and Lord, sorry, I've been trying to do this on my own. And you've been with me this whole time. I acknowledge that you're here. I'm sorry that I tried to do this without you. You just wanted to do this together. And then in your own way, just take that thing that you've been holding on to and just say, Jesus, here it is. Here's my problem. Here's my pain. Here's my insecurity. Here's my doubt. Here's my question. Here's my storm. I'm 
given it to you. I'm giving it to you because I was not made to carry this heavy burden on my own. I'm giving it to you, the author and the finisher of my faith. Jesus, how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we give it to you right now in this moment. Wow, thanks so much for listening. Uh, It's truly an honor to be with you on this journey. God's got a great plan for you. Don't ever forget it. It's possible for you to live an unshakable life. Hey, if you want more information about our church, you can find out at engagechurch.ca, on Instagram, engage.church, on Facebook, at engagechurchyeg. Have a great week, everybody. And you're going to make it. You're going to do this. And if you're at the gym, you got this. We got one more, one more. Come on, one more. A little faster, a little stronger, a little harder. You got it. If you're in traffic, oh my God, I'm praying for you. Have a great week, everybody.